He is none other than Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I've been bringing a piece of candy for you to look at. You might be able to taste it later, too. <laughs> Will Ferrell. I also ran into John Elway in the bathroom. He could have he given me a forearm shiver there. <laughs> Could have rammed my head. Long snapping expert Adam Carolla. We don't call ourselves long snapping what? expert. What do we We're, call ourselves? You just say black belt. You don't say black belt <laughs> karate expert. Black belt says it all. Matthew Perry. Our casting director said, "What about Nick Jonas? He's a pretty good actor." And I said, "Okay, great. Someone tell me who he is." <laughs> I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Presented by Papa John's, here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Papa John's, fresh back from the NFL Draft, fresh back from Radio City Music Hall, where 254 young men became freshly minted National Football League players, drafted in the 2011 draft, which is now in the books. So it's time to sift through all of the picks, all of the intrigue in terms of the case of the Ravens and Bears at the end of the first round controversy. Head-scratching, Ryan Mallett, a New England Patriot. The Detroit Lions had an incredible draft in my mind. They're going to put Nick Fairley next to Indomitian Sue. Uh, There's lots to talk about, and we're going to talk about it with Mike Mayock on a standalone podcast on Friday. We're also going to talk about it with Michael Lombardi on this podcast that includes another chat with Rob Lowe, the actor and author of Stories I Only Tell My Friends, joined us last week during our Lead Up to the Draft podcast. He said he would join us after the draft as well, as his book is now out everywhere as rob is everywhere as well and he's going to join us again on this podcast but he's not the only author rex ryan the head coach of the new york jets has a book out now called play like you mean it um and uh it it really is uh, an interesting fascinating book and um there are lots to talk about with rex who's also everywhere um as uh, his players are now working out by themselves under the watchful eye of uh, mark sanchez out in California, Braylon Edwards said he thinks he, Santoni Holmes, and Brad Smith could all re-sign for the Jets. I want to ask the coach if he thinks that is possible. Marshall Falk and Kara Henderson will join us at the end of the podcast uh, as well. And I've got an idea about how to make the draft better and get rid of what I think is the uh, main irritant of the NFL draft, and that is the tipping of picks. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. On this podcast, how much I I hate it, but if we have a camera on a prospect who's on the phone, we've got to show it to you. I have a way to eliminate all of this and make the NFL draft viewing that much better. Stay tuned for that later on in this podcast. Well, let's soak in the draft right now with Michael Lombardi joining us here on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John's. Michael, how are you? I'm great, Rich. I'm doing wonderful. You great ha- show today. Great, great lineup. Hey, listen, man. This is the way I roll. You know that. Great lineup. You yeah. Know? Thank you. And plus, again, uh, anytime I could steal you away from <laughs> no. Bill Simmons and his <laughs> podcast, I'm I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for that. Hey, uh, you had the scoop of the draft, my friend. Scoop of the draft. Well, Ryan Mallett to the Patriots. You had that ten, ten minutes before the pick. Well, you know, it was one of those situations where I knew they had done their homework on them, and I knew they they felt a different way than most people did. And I think, you know, when they traded uh, away in the second round, I had a suspicion that they may be going to get, they may be moving there. And if he made it to them, they were going to pick them. And clearly, 
they were excited to pick them. They weren't trying to uh, shop the pick, or uh, they were very clear about about their intentions. Why? What? I still don't. I still days later don't get it because. Uh, and I asked this of, of you and everybody on the live broadcast of the draft. What is the end game scenario? I mean, well, Tom, and, the, and this was before um, Kurt Warner was texting with Tom Brady and, and, and reported on our after show that Tom's like, I'm gonna, I, I've am i been there for 10 years. I'm, you know, I'm going to be there, basically. And what's the end game scenario here with Ryan? Well, I, I, think the, I think the end game is, look, I think Coach Belichick's probably going to plan on coaching another 10 years, and Tom Brady plans on playing, but... You know, by drafting him in the third, and if he plays well and Tom still plays well, the world of options are open to the Patriots. I mean, now all of a sudden you can get a second-round pick or a first-round pick. When the Eagles picked Kevin Cobb high in the second, the end game for Kevin Cobb while Donovan McNabb was there wasn't very uh, attractive. So I think the end game for the Patriots, if he plays well in the preseason, he pushes uh, everybody on the roster to become a better player. I, I think it it's gives them a lot of flexibility down the road. And, you know, I you guess... Know, I, I have to add this. It's yes. funny, because when, he, when the Patriots made the, the Richard Seymour trade, uh, I was at NFL Network, uh, we reported it out there, it was over the, fourth of, over the Labor Day weekend, and an executive, a president of a team, emailed me and said, I bet that pick turns into Brady's successor. Hmm. Well, in, how, in, a, in a way, it, in a way, in a, in a way, it did though. Well, it, how fitting was the Randy Moss trade that 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 actually they yeah, they used. it, it kind of was. Even though that pick ended up being seventeen, and they weren't going to pick a quarterback, but the the, the wisdom of this executive to, to to have the foresight and you know, look, they were uh, they wouldn't have picked him in the second clearly. But in the third, he became too much of a value for them not to pick. Well, in a way, um, the Seymour trade didn't directly lead to the pick of Mallet. Like I said, the the Randy Moss trade did, uh, because that was the pick that should have belonged to the would have belonged to the Vikings if the Vikings hadn't pulled the trigger on that. But in a way, you know, the Seymour trade did afford the Patriots more flexibility to start getting more picks as they usually do, you know, because they had Seymour and they traded, they, they got Nate Solder with him. So in maybe ways he got uh, not Brady's successor, but Brady's protector, future protector. Uh, but because of that, they were able to trade out of the first round again and get more picks and eventually traded down again. Uh, to have two picks in a row, 73 and 74 in the third round overall. And um, again, that's the whole drill with, 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 with Belichick. He's not drafting for today. I mean, how often does he draft for today, Bill Belichick? Not often, and the flexibility that he gets. I mean, look, the pick he gets in the top of the second allows him to go and get a, a one next year because at 28, now he could trade all the way back to, I think, 56 or 57 with – with uh, New Orleans and for just a one next year, if he doesn't have if he doesn't have thirty three, that may be too far to go back, and he would lose too many players. But because he's got thirty three, because he traded away his 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 three last year for a two this year, he ends up being able to have the ability to then trade from twenty eight to fifty six and pick up an extra year's one. So he just keeps multiplying these things in, and, and his team won 14 games, and he's added more good players to it. Yeah, he's got two ones and two twos already set up for next year. Already. Yeah, and he went into the draft without, with the, didn't have a lot of picks going into the 2012 draft. The uh, other trade uh, of note, I think, that come out of this draft, obviously, is the Julio Jones uh, trade up for uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Thomas Dimitrov came on our podcast last week and, and said uh, speed, that they were looking for speed. 
And uh, little did I know, you know, that that in many ways he, he's ready to jump 21 picks up and get Julio Jones. What what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, selection? you know, as I, I, I didn't particularly like it for the Falcons in two, in two respects. The first, I think the Falcons under Thomas Dimitrov's strength is drafting players. And don't give away draft picks. Ted Thompson at the Green Bay Packers realizes that's his strength. He doesn't trade away draft picks because he treats them like gold. He thinks he can turn them into gold. So I, didn't, I had a problem with that. Secondly, I don't know if the Falcons are just a speed player away. I think they have some deficiencies. When you give up 48 points at home in a playoff game and 442 yards, and people say, well, you can't judge your team from one game. Well, the playoffs, you have to judge. Those are, that's the standard of excellence you're measuring yourself against. And I think their defense, if John Abraham goes down, it's going to be troublesome. And I think ultimately they're going to have to fix some things, and they don't have the picks to fix them. Well, what would they have done if they stayed at 27? I mean, I'm just taking a look. Mohamed Wilkerson and Craig Hayward. Uh, soon went off the board. Those would have been perhaps the best available defensive players. You think that those guys would have helped out Atlanta more than throwing Julio Jones out there, maybe outscoring well, some teams? Well, I, I think you have to. Before you can evaluate the trade, you have to add that one that they traded away next year. Who would that have been? Because mm-hmm. ultimately, you're you know that that's the pick that that's the, that's the that's the cherry on top. That's the pick that's going to measure. When I've gone through all these trades starting back uh, some 15 years ago, there's been like 28 of these blockbuster deals where you go up and go down and at the end of the day most of the time uh the team that gives away next year's pick usually doesn't come out ahead uh and another spot that a few people are talking about um uh in the draft that intrigues me now that i'm looking at my boards here picks 51 52 and 53 let's go through them 51 daquan bowers goes all the way down 51 of the buccaneers you concerned about that or you thought that's a value pick right there well, I am concerned because even Mark Dominic came out this week after the draft and said he's going to have a hard time practicing. And if a young player can't practice, Rich, it's hard for him to get better. And how does he get better? He practices. And, and Daquan Bowers, his name looks good on their list of depth chart picks, but is he going to turn out to be a good player because of health reasons? If he's healthy, it's a tremendous pick. He would have never been there. But there's a lot of teams very concerned about his durability, his ability to practice, and I think it's going to affect them. The Giants, 52nd overall. They got Marvin Austin right there, and he, he was on Mayock's top 32. I mean, he was he's a top 30 top thirty player, and he, he fell all the way to 52. Is that just because of the, the issue that he didn't play last year or the reason why he didn't play last year? How does Marvin Austin fall all the way down to 52? I think a combination of a lot of different things, but I know that the Bears had given him some consideration in the first round had he been there, had they not had Gabe Karimi there. I think there was a lot of options going on, and Marvin Austin just slips. I think the Giants made a tremendous pick in getting him. Barry Cofield can be a free agent. They could slip him in. And, again, I always like it when teams play to their strength. The Giants' strength is their defensive line, and they added another quality defensive lineman that they can handle in the room. Much like Nick Fairley, even though Nick Fairley may have some character things that you're concerned about, in a Detroit Lions defensive draft room, they won't show up because of Kyle Vandenbosch and because of Adama Kasu. And um, 53, 53rd overall, interesting for a couple reasons. Um, and, and not just because who was chosen there was Stephen Pia, but that belonged to the Colts. The Colts traded up earlier in the draft to take Ben Ijelana, the second offensive lineman. I guess Polian looked at that and said, uh, this is it. We need to keep manning up right, or 
that they realized that the offensive line couldn't sustain any further? What, what do you think was the Colts draft strategy right there? I think Roger Saffold was the Colts draft strategy. I think last year in the draft at 32 or 31 where they were picking, I think they wanted they decided between Jerry Hughes and Roger Saffold. They didn't think Saffold could play left tackle. They went in the direction of Hughes. He didn't play for him. They saw Saffold play left tackle. And I think that those 16 games of Bill Poley and watching Roger Saffold play irritated him enough to make sure that he wasn't going to miss on another offensive lineman. And then added to the fact that when you watch Peyton play last year, Peyton's never going to get sacked. But when you move Peyton around in the pocket, much like you know when you chart shots in basketball, made and missed shots, when you can move Peyton around in that pocket, then you can get a chance to really kind of affect his game, and that's what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, to get Costanzo and uh, and Ijelana, there you go. I mean, that's two kids right there that you can plug right in uh, around Saturday and, and, and deem and move forward, right? Right, and, and I think the Costanza pick gives them some toughness. I think it'll help Jeff uh, Saturday set the tempo for the room. It gives them a sense of toughness because Costanza is all about toughness. And uh, you know, and if he can't play left tackle, they still have Charlie Johnson, and so they they can move forward if they re-sign Charlie Johnson. But I think the toughness element too was something Bill Polian was after. Yeah, and the Washington Redskins were the were the ones who then owned this pick after uh, Washington Indianapolis swapped spots with Washington to take Ben Ijelana, and Washington kept moving down. This was, an, this was a fascinating change of pace for the Washington Redskins, who wound up with 11 third-day picks on the third day. They had, ele- they had, they had actually, pardon me, 10 third-day picks. The reason why 11 sticking in my head is because I asked our researcher, Matt Palmer, I'm like, go back and take a look. How many draft picks had they had total the last couple of years? And the answer was 11. So that Washington kept moving down and down and down and down. Do you think that that is just a conscientious change from the previous administration? What do you think uh, the Redskins draft strategy was there? I think it's about creating competition. I think that's what it's all about. I think Mike Shanahan went in there and he didn't have any competition. He couldn't let the players compete and he couldn't demand because when you when you don't have competition, it's tough to demand from the team. And I think by bringing in all these players, he creates competition. He also has a chance to improve the bottom half of his roster or really, frankly, in, in Washington, improve the top half of his roster. So I, I think it was about competition. It was about trying to improve the depth of their football team and, and hopefully it's worked out. I think there's still another draft away from doing it. There was a lot of weaknesses on that team last year when you watched the Redskins offensive line defensive line linebacker on every single level in their offense and defense well I know but they did they did get some playmakers or at least uh, players who they think can be playmakers they got uh, Leonard Hankerson in the third round uh, they went a couple of wide receivers they went hog wild with Nebraska players they went from the Nebraska players three in a row at one point during the draft but none of them are quarterbacks and everybody we were talking about this on the on the broadcast I could not I, I I'm not buying it I'm not buying John Beck, but apparently, you know, everyone's saying, hey, they they got him a few years ago in the draft. They believe in John Beck. And I asked you point blank on the po- on the broadcast as well. I'll do it again here on the podcast. In the NFC East, Romo, Eli Manning, uh, Michael Vick, in this NFC East where virtually every divisional game you play is nationally televised and the intensity of the East Coast media is on top of you every single day, every single move. And I think Shanahan learned that the hard way, that he's not in the Rocky Mountains anymore based on what happened last year with his press conferences. John Beck? Really? The Redskins are really going to go with John Beck? 
Well, you know, I think there's certainly cause for concern if you're a Redskin fan, but if you're Mike Shanahan, you believe in your ability to develop the quarterback. You believe in Beck's ability, that it's something he wants, and he can basically get his skills in the system. I mean, ultimately, you first year you teach the player the system. The second year you develop his skills within the system, and I think that's where Mike is. I think Mike's trying to get around, and I'm sure he's seen you know, Matt Schaubo down at Houston, and they've seen what they've done down there with him, and I think probably he thinks he can do the same. Whether he's right or not, I think he's taking his reputation on it, and that's going to be the interesting factor here. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why I brought up the 53rd overall pick in general uh, is because of this, and it's not because Stephen Pye was the, cho- the chosen player, and it's not because the Colts traded out, and it's not because the Washington Redskins traded out. It's because who traded up? <laughs> to take Stephen Paya and the draft pick that they used to move up, that would be the Chicago Bears, who used the fourth round, 127th selection overall, to move up and take that spot. This happening the day after the Baltimore Ravens say the Bears used that very pick to attempt to move up in the first round for a trade that never happened. And I want it from you. What happened with that Ravens? Bears trade in the first round, and is this going to leave a mark on the Bears or maybe change the way trades are recorded or the process by which trades are accepted and struck in the NFL draft? Well, I wrote about it for NFL.com. It's up there today, and, and basically the blame lies in the 120 seconds that was when Ozzie Newsom and Jerry Angelo both agreed on the trade. They both agreed, both parties agreed, and I spelled it out in the article about how the mechanics of a trade breaks down. And ultimately, Ozzie Newsom heard from Jerry Angelo they have a deal, and those 120 seconds went by without a deal. I think the Bears are completely at fault here, and I think the Bears manipulated the system, and I think the Bears basically used that fourth-round pick to get a player that they were all really seriously considering picking in the first round, Stephen Paya. So they really made out like bandits, and it'll be obviously next year there'll be no way the Bears and, and, and the Ravens will trade. But I think the league's got to look into this because – what happened was, and I can't prove this, but the Bears were wanted. They were moving up to pick Gabe Creamy, and when they heard that the Chiefs, who were rumored to be picking, wanted Mike Pouncey going into the draft and wanted to strengthen their offensive line, when they heard they picked Jonathan Baldwin, the Bears could have easily said, "Well, there's no big deal. We have the Saints and the Ravens in front of us. We'll get Creamy." Hmm. Well, they didn't know the Saints were in front of them. They had the Patriots sitting right there, but the Patriots had already chosen. Um, they'd already chosen Solder. So why would they go Solder and Karimi? Why would they do that? So maybe that's what they were thinking. But but by the, what it seems like to me is if, if the Bears did do that, where they say, all right, you've got a deal, then that means somebody in the draft room said, you know what, let's wait for the 120 seconds to tick down here. <laughs> and let's see. Let's roll the dice. Let's roll the dice. Because if it doesn't happen, we'll hold on to the pick. And... um. And and if something like that happens, that you know the league should definitely have some discipline on that. Certainly, if it, while this is being investigated, they take the the draft choice in the fourth round in question and trade it away. Like, oh, well, that one's gone. You can't bust us on that fourth round pick. Maybe they can be docked a fourth round pick next year if this is the way the investigation goes. But they're they're. I mean, the Ravens are ticked. The Ravens are really up. I mean, Bashadi's calling out the McCaskey family in the press. Well, and well, they should be. I mean, really, it, the reality is, is they had, uh, you know, they had an agreement of a trade. And and on draft day, as I pointed out in this column, all you have is your word. That's all you have. When you agree, you agree. You can't exchange papers. You're not waiting for somebody's signature. You're not signing off. Once I hear, when I was on the phone after 20 years in the league, when I hear we got a deal, we got a deal. It's done. That's it. We're done. 
But uh, Jerry Angelo said that he designated or he delegated the the uh, the uh, I guess minutia of phoning in the uh, trade information because it's not a trade until the NFL hears from both teams. Joel Bussert, uh, a league employee, sitting there in the orchestra pit. We we had him on the phone. Uh, when he's on the phone, that means a draft is cooking. We saw he was very animated, no doubt probably talking to the Ravens, saying, hey, listen, I didn't get a call from the Bears. This is what's happening. So you need to either make a choice or get the Bears on the phone to me. And uh, But Jerry Angelo said that he delegated, delegated that job of calling Joel Bussert to two guys, and both guys thought the other one was doing it. How, how, how feasible is that? It's not feasible. I mean, you know, this is a little Watergate-ish. I mean, the reality of it is, is everybody's in the same room. Nobody's down the hall. And when I would make a trade and I said we have a deal, there was somebody whose sole purpose in that draft room was to be this guy to call in Joel Bussert. That's all his job was. And there was only one of them. And so, really, there's a breakdown here because the breakdown is the Bears didn't want to make the trade. I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, because there's no mechanical breakdown that should ever happen. You, you, you go through the trade, you hang up the phone, or you stay. You usually keep the guy on the phone. Stay on the line, Ozzy. You know, we're going to call it in right now. You call it in, and as soon as both parties call it in, Bussard stops the clock and puts the other team on the line. And so uh, do you think Ozzy will forever now keep his, somebody else on the phone line until he, <laughs> until he hears that call being put in? I mean, because uh, – this is re- this really is is really bizarre to me, man. I mean, because Jerry Angelo has been around f- forever. He's yes. been around the draft forever. Yeah, he has, and and you know this is his reputation on the line, and it's going to cause concern for other teams wanting to trade up with him. You know, and I think that's going to be a problem. But look, look, the mechanics. You can't argue with the mechanics of a trade, and. Ultimately, Jerry said, well, you know, no harm, no foul. But there was harm and there was a foul. A, the Bears got another player they wanted, Stephen Paya, and the Ravens were left in the worst place you can be, which is in limbo. Hmm. Uh, Before I let you go, let's hit the quarterbacks. Colin Kaepernick, how soon does he play for Jim Harbaugh, you think? I think it's going to take some time. I think his inaccuracies are going to create some problems. I think his athleticism is great, but I think he's got a long way to go to learn to be an NFL quarterback. I think it's going to take some time. I think Alex Smith will be the starter once again in San Francisco. You think so? Yes. When, when, when the league opens for business, that's the guy that the, uh, the Niners are going to go I think to. they're going to have no choice but to go to him. I don't think Kaepernick's going to be able to go, catch up to speed. His inaccuracy problems are, are above what Jake Lockers were. But why would Alex Smith say yes to that? Well, I think he feels, you know, he's saying yes not to the Niners as much as he's saying yes to being coached by Jim Harbaugh. Right. I think that's that he's have, saying yes to having somebody who's got some stability within the organization that's going to allow him to gain some stability. Right. And if Jim Harbaugh is, is willing to stand behind him, then I think it would be the right move. And I think that's the only way that Alex Smith should go back. It shouldn't be he's, based on somebody else's word. It should be based on the new head coach, and he's going to be there a while. But he's, it's all Alex Smith has been doing is playing for different – it is about different – um, coaches and different offensive coordinators and different. I mean, he would basically be signing for two more years for that. You know, I mean, okay, I'll play for you, Jim, and then I'll go somewhere else and play for somebody else because clearly Kaepernick's coming in the, in the minute you think he's ready. Yeah. Well, I, I think he can hold off Kaepernick. I think Kaepernick's going to take some time. I think it's going to, Kaepernick's not going to be able to get done what he needs to get done on the limited amount of reps he's going to get. Uh, and then uh, Andy Dalton. 
how soon does he play? Is he, is he? I think he plays day one. I think that's the whole plan there. He's smart. I think he'll grasp the Jay Gruden system fairly well. I think they'll be able to put him on the field. And I think they have a running game that they, they like. I'm sure they'll sign Cedric Benson back. And, you know, I, I think they'll be able to move forward with him. He's smart. He's very bright. He understands how to lead a team. And I think the Bengals will realize he's their best option. Um, Ponder in Minnesota. Well, that's a tough one, Rich. You know, I was, wasn't a big Ponder fan. I thought Ponder had a chance to be a potential starter down the road, but I wasn't sold on that. Leslie Frazier's come out this week and said he's going to be the starter. I think he's going to have some problems. Everybody says, well, Adrian Peterson can help. He'll carry the offense. Hold on, timeout. I don't think that's going to be the case. No running back carries the quarterback. The quarterback carries the running back. So I, I'm a little concerned there. I think this is going to be a fascinating fascinating experience for the um, for Christian Ponder. I don't know if he actually is going to be able to handle this as quickly as many, many in Minnesota think. Gabbard, what do you think? Uh, you know, I think Gabbard's there to really put a lot of pressure and competition on David Garrard. I think he's going to do that. I think they wanted somebody in Jacksonville that could put that pressure on him, and they weren't going to sign a backup guy or a journeyman-type player. And I think the more pressure he puts on him, I think David's going to look over his shoulder. And if things don't go well in the first four or five weeks of the season, I could see him making that move. And Jake Locker, what do you think about that? They've already announced it's going to take him. He's going to redshirt next year. They're going to sign a veteran quarterback. Again, the accuracy problems concern me about Jake Locker. As one coach told me, you love everything about Jake Locker until you put the tape on. And I concur. I mean, it's problematic because his accuracy really creates problems. And when you watch the, the game against the, the, the Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, I mean, those throws had to be pinpoint accuracy. And unfortunately, that's something Jake Locker doesn't have or, Kyle, or Colin Kaepernick. Mm. And lastly, Cam Newton is day one, right? I mean, Jimmy Clark. He has to be day one. I mean, you know, yeah. Unless this lockout lasts way too long, it's got to be day one. I don't think Jimmy – because I don't think Jimmy Clausen – and Cam Newton are compatible in terms of offensive structure. I think you're going to have to run something for Cam Newton that's going to let, allow him to use his skills and effectiveness, and the offense that you're going to have to run for Jimmy Clausen is going to be different. I don't think Carolina can carry two quarterbacks that are so vastly different, especially two young quarterbacks. You know, in, in the NFL, it's all about reps. It's, it's a numerical game. How many reps do we have? How many reps can we get this guy ready with? And if, you're trying, and if you have offenses that don't really mesh between first-string and second-string quarterback, it makes it even more more difficult. Mm. And is it true he called Jerry Richardson Jeremy? Is that a true story? I don't know that That's one. Right. I haven't checked. Yeah, in his press conference, I heard he, he said, uh, I want to thank Jeremy Richardson. He'll learn. You know? <laughs> He'll learn. I mean, entertainers and icons uh, make mistakes sometimes. They take time. But, I, I mean, I'm rooting for him. I, I'm rooting for I mean, because how, how, you know, how great would it be if he makes that franchise into something special in Carolina and and joins the battle in the NFC South and and the NFL is a new star. I mean that would be that would be huge. I mean yeah. it would be huge for everyone involved. You know, for Carolina you just hope it happens because this pick if it doesn't work out could set them back a long, long way. <sighs> Michael Lombardi, you're the man. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll catch up with you down the road. I hope so. Soon. Soon, Rich. Football will be here soon, I hope. Well, last question for you, then. What are you hearing on that? We're waiting for the Eighth Circuit, right? I mean... Uh, You know, there there was an app... Everybody's, you know, guessing at this point. But I'm hoping that... You know, that both sides realize, look, you know, the, the buzz around football is declining. 
the the the, the share of the profits or is is you really coming think down. that's you really think that that means something because it seems I, to I me that everybody's to, everybody is is you know is just trying to exact the most revenge on the other side right now that this and, is bloody this I, is bloody this, this is to, more than just blooding each other's noses now somebody wants to win and stand uh, and fr- like Braveheart in the middle of the field and scream the most guttural noise at the end. That's what it strikes me as right now. I could be completely misreading the situation, and if that's the case, I apologize to anybody who's hearing this, but I, I don't know. I'm really afraid that this um, this matter will be adjudicated, that the, you'll get a ruling, a stay, whatever. You'll get a ruling, and then we're going to be sitting here in the middle of July, and there will still be no appetite for a deal because we're close enough to the next leverage point, which is the start of the season. That's that's what I'm. That's what I'm deathly afraid of right now. Well, I think this this lockout has affected everybody's pocketbooks, and I think it's gonna it's gonna affect and continue to affect until cooler heads prevail. Until they get back to the table, this is the only way they're gonna get done. Court is not the answer because even if you win leverage points, court's answer is three years away. I mean, let's face it, the court's answer is three years away, so you might as well try to get something done. And meanwhile, in three years, you'll be operating in a system that you won't like. So. To me, I think the players need to get back to the table. The owners need to get back to the table, and we need to get a deal done. Will they I mean, do that though? Will there be an appetite for it after everybody after the suing is over? Will there really be an appetite for it, or will it be somebody whispering on the owner's side? Well, let's see how these guys do until they miss a paycheck, and people on the players' side. Well, let's see how these guys do. You know, when Congress comes down on them for locking us, keeping us locked out, and nine eleven is approaching with an empty football stage. You know, do you think? Do you think that that? Might I, I, to me, that's the nightmare scenario that there will still be no appetite for a deal. That people will still be saying, "Let's wait, let's wait and see how everybody loves being on the griddle." I think it's it takes deal makers to make deals, and I think the the league, as I said on the air when we were doing that long show, mm-hmm. I, I thought the league was ready to make a deal. I'm not saying it was going to be the greatest deal ever, but I think the league on that midnight steps was ready to make a deal, and the timing is when to make a deal. And I think the players need to realize you're going to have to make a deal. Court's not going to win it for everybody. They're going to get a good deal, and the owners need to realize that they need to make a deal. So, and everybody's affected now. Here we are in May. And, you know, we have to get to the table. We've got to iron out a deal because, look, the courts aren't going to settle anything until three years from now. Can we end on this note? Is it possible to end on this note? This is well, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think, there I think you go. I think ultimately somebody's got to come in and intervene, and you hope it's somebody with enough clout to say, fellas, get back to the table, get a deal done, and start behaving like adults. All right, Michael Lombardi. Thanks for thanks, thanks for, Rich. Thanks for bucking me up at the end there, man. Alrighty, I really bye-bye. appreciate it. That's Michael Lombardi joining us here on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John's. Check out his column on that Bears-Ravens trade on NFL.com. Now let's talk to the head coach of the New York Jets, fresh off of the NFL draft. And just when you think maybe, you know, with a lockout, he could perhaps take some time to himself. He is promoting a book, which is a job and a half in itself. His book, Play Like You Mean It is currently number 94 on the Amazon bestseller list. Uh, Coach Rex Ryan joining the podcast right now. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great, Rich. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. By the way, after I'm going to make I'm going to make a boastful statement. After this podcast, you're going to be number 1 on Amazon. That's how it works. You know what? I would not doubt it. <laughs> See, you're not the only one that can make boastful statements and back it up. You know? There you go. I'm going right. to back it up, too. My, just, and just to put it in perspective for you, as well as the rest of the listeners, my book that came out five years ago, currently number 297,199 on that Amazon list. So I'm, I'm Yeah, but a, it hasn't peaked yet. 
It is not peaked yet. <laughs> it's with a bullet right now. It's rising. It's rising. Have you have you learned what I learned, which is selling the book is a billion times tougher than actually writing it or sitting down and taking part in, in, in doing it? Well, you know what? It, it's It's been pretty easy for me because it's uh, – uh, the, the team that I have, you know, that all they do is say, you're here, 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 mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know what I'm sure you found as well? It's great to go out. Like, if you had the book signings and all that, that's been, like, the, the highlight of, of this thing so far for me because even though fans are in the stadium and you think you have a connection with them and things like that, uh, this is an opportunity to meet the fans, and it's great. And you know how passionate these Jeff fans are, and, and quite honestly, there's been some giant fans and Patriot fans and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. How about the giant fans? Uh, have they mentioned the part in the book where you say that you're now the big brothers of New York City? Have they brought that up to you? Oh, yeah, they like that, too. Yeah, they really like that. <laughs> but, you know, and I talk about it all the time. But that's what is the, the, you know, part of the beauty of this sport is that you do have such connections and, you know, with your team. And, I'm no different than anybody else. I'm just a fan of football myself, but, you know, now I've just been given an incredible opportunity, but, you know, and, you know, to be a head coach and all that kind of stuff, but I'm still a fan first and foremost of, of this game. And, and, uh, you know, so I certainly understand there's, you know, you've got your Jet fans, your lifelong Jet fans, your lifelong Giant fans, Cowboy fans, Redskin fans, whatever. And that's the beauty of this sport that if you ever say anything about, your team's better than their team, boy. Here you go. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's that's fun, and I enjoy that. But you're part of a, of a profession uh, in a role that normally uh, requires measured statements and not giving the other team something and leading by example on that front to make sure your players don't do that. You have basically, Rex, flipped it right on its head. You flipped the whole convention right on its head and 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 have received a lot of criticism for that. What is sure. your philosophy when people say, hey, man, you shouldn't be saying that sort of stuff, or why are you saying that sort of stuff if there's no guarantee that you can back it up? Well, there's never a, you know, a 100% guarantee, but I know one thing. I can almost guarantee you that if you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. And to me, I do believe we'll be champions. I do believe that the, the statements I make, I believe. Now, I've been wrong before. I've been wrong a lot of times. But I know one thing, nobody's going to tell me what, you know, what I what I believe or not believe. I mean, this is this is it. I believe that we'll be champions and I don't have any problem saying it and making that statement. I also made a statement that the first time first year I came here, the uh, the Jet defense was 23rd in the league in defense and I said we're going to have a dominant defense. Well, that year we led the league in defense, you know, this past year like I said, well, we had a terrible slump. We went to third in the league in defense. So I think that statement's accurate. I think that we were going to have a ground-and-pound mentality on offense. We led the league in rushing. So, you know, some of the things I said, I want to have a physical football team. Well, that's what we are. We are a physical team. I said that we want to have a team that nobody would want to play. Well, trust me, nobody wants to play the Jets. They don't even say they want to play the Jets. And if they do, they're lying. It's as simple as that. We're a good football team. We're a physical football team. And we have no problem telling you that because if, if you think you're going to put that on your bulletin board and that's going to somehow help you, well, good luck to you. We'll probably beat you anyway. <laughs> Some of the stories from the book um, I, I did not already know. 
uh, that, le- that le- leapt out at me. I'd love for you to talk about a little bit more uh, in play like okay. you mean it. Uh, the story about earning the trust of Santonio Holmes and how you involved the commissioner in this right. process. Could you tell that story, Rex? Sure, absolutely. Um, really what happens, I want him to know, like it's different if you just tell a guy that, you know what, we want you to come here. We have open arms for you. You come in here. We recognize the fact you've made mistakes in your life. And you know what? I've made mistakes in my life. Every single person in our locker room and in everybody else's locker room has made a mistake in once, you know, in their life. And we want them to know that, hey, it's a, it's a clean slate here. We respect you, and we want you here. And instead of just saying it, I was like, well, how can I really get my point across that, you know what, I've made mistakes as well. Well, I had I called Commissioner Goodell. He came down, spent a little time with Santonio, and I obviously, you know, it was a black eye on the league when I, you know, uh, had the incident in Miami uh, where I, I used poor judgment with the fingers I used. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, and yeah. then the same thing with Santonio. Here's a guy that's a former Super Bowl MVP. Okay, he used poor judgment as well. And I wanted him to understand that I, you know, that, hey, look, you made a mistake. I made a mistake. And Commissioner Goodell came in. He ripped me in front of San Antonio uh, about being, you know, putting a a black guy, if you will, on the, uh, you know, the NFL. And then he turned and he ripped San Antonio. So we both got it. You know, Uh, he shot us down with both barrels and things like that. But I thought that would bring us close together, and and I think it did. Um, that I wasn't just a guy that would talk that gave lip service. That I, you know, that hey, I understand, you know, what happened, and but it's what we do now going forward. The other thing I did is there's a, you know, I wanted him to understand that I trust him, and and the way I did that, I had my son with me. He was a sophomore in high school at Summit High School here in New Jersey, mm-hmm. soon to be state champs, by the way. Um, either way, um, he's a receiver, and, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get Tone to teach him how to get off the press, press coverage. And so I went over and asked Tone if he wouldn't mind spending a couple minutes teaching my son Seth how to get off press coverage. And then I walked away. I wanted him to know that, you know, I, I hold nothing dearer in my life than my family, my wife and my kids. And I'm like, look, I trust you with my son. And so I wanted to lay that out there, and I don't think he realized what I was doing. But an hour and a half later, I had to go over and say, stop it. That's enough. <laughs> you had to, you <laughs> you had to break it up, huh? I had to break it up. I mean, he was so passionate about it, and he's getting them right. He talks to them about the, how's he doing a receiver. I know they can't bump him, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and Tony and him are still close, you know. So that's just, the, uh, you know, some of the things I do, I try to reach all my players. And, um, you know, you do things differently. Every one of your players is different. Um, but I, I certainly I try to treat every one of our players fairly, but they are going to be treated differently. But that was something I thought was important to do and, and, and let Tone know how much we appreciate him. And, and I'll say this about San Antonio. He's a, a great teammate, and, a, uh, a, you know, and he builds people up. He built his teammate up. But there's one problem I have with San Antonio Holmes. It's the fact that he'll stand right beside me sometimes when the defense is on the field and he's cheering his teammates on and he's pumping them up. And it's right by me. I'm like, 
Tone, get away from me. Stop. I've got to call the defense. So that's the big negative I have about San Antonio. He's a close talker. He's a close cheerer. He's, he's a little too oh, close. I hear you. He's, all, he's right on top of you. <laughs> Another story you tell us about Sanchez and trading up to get him in the draft and how um, had that not happened, you were all set to go down and ask Favre to come back and play for the Jets. Is that true? That's a true statement. Without question, we were going to head down there, Mike Tannenbaum and I, and, and uh, we were going to be on that next plane out. But you know, Tannenbaum was able to work his magic. We we somehow were able to move up to that fifth position. Um, you know, we had the trade with Cleveland, gave our first and second round pick, and then three players that uh, Eric Mangini was very familiar with. And that's why the trade was was uh, pulled off. You hope that a trade's good for both sides. Um, you know, anytime you make a trade, I know and that, that's kind of not true. You hope the trade's good for you, <laughs> but the, the good trades, though, the good trades actually benefit both teams, and and I think uh, you know that that trade did. Uh, Sanchez, I would just want to before I let you go, I hit you on a couple questions about the Jets, and I have to start with Sanchez. The the question we always ask in the national media about Sanchez, it's simple: is what is it with this guy? And and the reason that question is, is he just looks so superb sometimes. Certainly in the playoffs, when he plays within himself, and he he just he rolls out of the pocket, he makes throws on the run, he he plays virtual mistake free football, and then sometimes he will go through a stretch of the season. Where you know we think maybe you're looking at your second string quarterback saying I might have to put this guy in the game today. What what is it with Sanchez? Do you think, Coach? Well, I think first off, I mean he's a young quarterback. That's you know only played two years in this league, and you're going to have ups and downs. As great as Peyton Manning is, you know you look at those stats he had as a rookie; they weren't very impressive. But you know I always judge quarterbacks on on wins and losses. I think that's the most important stat. And clearly, this young man is a tremendous quarterback. He's already been a tremendous quarterback, and and the future looks awful bright for us. And and uh, and he's a big reason why. You know, the fact that he's won as many road playoff games as any quarterback in the history of this game is uh, is really amazing to me. So, do you think he, he's 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 going to be uh, as? How do you teach consistency? You know, I know Kavanaugh and and you and I'm sure uh, Schottenheimer are all over him trying to be more consistent. How do you teach that? Well, I just think a lot of it comes with experience, you know. Uh, and you're right, you know, Matt Kavanaugh's tremendous quarterback coach, and, and Brian Schottenheimer obviously knows a lot of things about quarterbacks, uh, having tutored, you know, Drew Brees in San Diego and such. And uh, he's a, a you know one of the brightest young coaches I've ever seen. Uh, him along with our defense coordinator Mike Patton, but um, really, it's that's it. And I think the more he understands, you know, all positions of that offense and can orchestrate a game like Peyton Manning does or, or Tom Brady does, that's going to be the next level of, of uh, Mark Sanchez. But clearly, he's taken over the leadership of our offense, and and the players know the kind of work ethic he has. They know that he, you know, he's going to put in the work. And they also know how competitive he is, and and the bigger the moment, the better he plays. And and I'd much rather have a quarterback like that than one that would put up gaudy stats, but when crunch time would make mistakes. Mark is just the opposite of that. And he is uh, right now showing leadership out in California, getting a whole bunch of your players together to work out during the lockout. And obviously, you have no contact with them doing that uh, at that lo- at that workout. 
uh, just on Wednesday, Coach, uh, Braylon Edwards said he thinks all your free agent wide receivers, him, Santonio, and Brad Smith, could come back and, and be signed and be happy. Do you think that's possible? Well, I know one thing. The uh, We want all of our players back. That can, you know, and, uh, you know, now that's obviously much easier said than done. It's kind of like guaranteeing a Super Bowl victory. But I'll say this, we want our players back. And, you know, hopefully that happens. Uh, and lastly, I want to ask you quickly about your draft. Muhammad Wilkerson, how quickly do you think he can be brought up to speed and, and be one of those guys that you, you seemingly truly need, which is uh, not needing to scheme him towards the quarterback. He could just put his fingers in the dirt and go get him. Well, I think first off, you know, last year I got to really credit Sean Ellis, Mike DeVito, and Sione Boja. When, when we had the, the devastating injury to Chris Jenkins, mm-hmm. like the fourth play of our season, we had already lost Rapati. Uh, I can't even pronounce the last name. Uh, but either way, big <laughs> Rapati, six-foot-nine kid. Anyway, uh, um, we lost two guys that we were really counting on, and we had we had very little depth there. And, you know, we, we picked up Trevor Price, and he helped us in passing situations, but we weren't playing Trevor on first and second down. Those three guys, Sean Elisioni, Boha, and Mike DeVito, they had to do all the heavy lifting without any any real relief. So that was why it was so important for us to, to go out and deal the draft, Muhammad Wilkerson and Kendrick Ellis. I think both those guys are going to help us. and Because and, uh, I felt a little bit, we, we kind of got knocked, knocked around a little bit, uh, much more than we normally do. Uh, later in the season, I think that just shows we we had a little wear and tear on us. But I'm excited about what these two young men are going to add to uh, to already a great defense. And did Sanchez put a bug in your ear on Scotty McKnight at all at any point? <laughs> hey, he did for two straight years. <laughs> always, I'd always get the Scotty McKnight updates, and you know I'll have it all right. And then uh, I would always give him the Seth Ryan updates, my son. So it, was, it kind of worked out that way. But, uh, yeah, it is funny how, you know, they were, uh, you know, best friends and things like that. So uh, it's going to give that, that young man, obviously, uh, uh, probably a leg up on, on other guys because he's, he's run a zillion routes in his life uh, with Mark. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he plays here. And lastly, Rex, uh, you dedicate the book to your dad. Um, right, how, absolutely. How's he doing? He's actually doing great. You know, the, uh, you know, the cancer is, uh, is gone. You know, he's out of ICU now, so he's, uh, he's recovering. It's probably going to be a long process and things, but, you know, he's 80 years old and, and right now all he's talking about is, is coming out to that first game and, and seeing, uh, my brother who's yeah. now on the sidelines with Dallas and, and, uh, and the Jets go at it. And trust me, he will be decked out in jet green. Is that right? There'll be no, there'll be no stars? No Cowboys. Absolutely not, and we all know why. The Philadelphia deal, plus the fact that once you're a Jet, you're always a Jet. He was a coach here for eight years, and he is wearing nothing but Jet gear. And the Philadelphia deal, that's a great way to put it in just three words. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. Hey, listen, Rex, congrats on the book. Um, It's the... You know, it is the ultimate they-can't-take-it-away-from-you type thing. I mean, that thing is going to be on a shelf. Your kids are going to show it to their kids, et cetera, et cetera, all forever. You can't take it away from you, so congrats on that. Well, thank you so much, Rich. Great talking to you. Same to you, Coach. That's Rex Ryan, everybody, the one and only head coach of the New York Jets, author of Play Like You Mean It, number 94 on the Amazon bestseller list, and clearly, no doubt, 
going up after appearing on this podcast. Rob Lowe uh, certainly experienced that bounce last week when he visited with our podcast pre-draft. And uh, as promised, he now returns to the podcast the week after the draft with his book, Stories I Only Tell My Friends in the Top 20 on the Amazon bestseller list. So I'm pleased to welcome back to the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John's, uh, the star of Parks and Recreation. You like him in Californication. And he was uh, great as the uh, uh, erudite Sam Seaborn years ago on the West Wing. Rob Lowe, back on the show. Good Appreciate to be it. back, man. Thank you. You so so. I, I hope this interview can be as deep and um, as emotional. I'm sure as the one you had with Oprah to promote your. Mm, yeah, your you know, she's she's the queen, and and I got to be on one of her last shows as, oh, as, as right. I was this last week. That's right. Um, was you know it really was it was it was really moving and and special and emotional and. That audience in Chicago is is so great, and and she Oprah was so supportive of the book. She was one of the first people. Oh, her, her she read the first eleven chapters, and I hadn't even finished the rest of the book, and booked me on these really valuable, you know, last shows. So that was a a, a big boost for Huge. my my confidence as as a, as a writer when I was really needing it halfway through the book. Yeah, I mean, because to me, again, uh, I. I, I wrote uh, a book based on my experience leaving ESPN and joining NFL Network and being exposed to the NFL world for the first time and what it's like. Uh, just sitting there, sometimes just writing about some of the stories that I came up with, I, I would write it, it would feel good writing it, and then I'd reread it, and I'd say, who in the world is going to care about this? Did, mm, isn't did, that interesting how you do that? Did you did you have a totally. similar experience while you're sitting at the computer? Like You mean when you have the flop sweat? <laughs> Yeah, and and the computer, you know, the, the it's blinking at you, and you've just like, yes, I got everything out. I think I got the story right. Man, that was such a fun exercise to actually write it. And then you reread it and go, what a piece of crap this might actually be. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I that's, mean that, that, that's that, what I went through almost no, all the time. That's true. That's the that's and that is the that's where you know separates the men from the boys. Mm-hmm. Is, is what I've learned is that's where you got that's what you power through and you have to trust and because yeah for sure I mean I, I, there was a lot of things in the book I thought why is anybody going to care <laughs> yeah and and you know what has been so so and, and then when they do it's it's gratifying beyond all belief it blows away being you know lauded as an actor or having a hit movie or a hit TV show. You know, when I when I woke up to the New York Times review of this book, you know, you know, I've had good reviews, I've had bad reviews. It's not a new process for me, and mm-hmm. and I've I've you know, there are people that say if you listen to the good ones, you should also listen to the bad ones. I say I've had enough character building in my life. I'm listening only to the good ones. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I don't blame you for doing that, but here here's the reason why uh, I think the book works in that respect is is because it's so honest and it's clearly your voice, right? It's clearly like you, it, 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 it's not your autobiography as written by no, no, somebody I wrote, else. I wrote every, wrote it, every word it longhand. Clearly, it clearly is your voice, you know, and, but you put people in the shoes of, of, uh, your entire life. I mean, it's, it's all out there, including just the angst ridden moments of being a kid in a household with parents who are divorcing and trying to break through uh, in a profession that so many people dream of breaking through and your nervousness trying to get. I mean, all of that. It's so earnest 
that when you do tell a story about, you know, how uh, you, you met, uh, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker at a at a at a, a meeting that your agent hooked up or you talk about, um, you know, uh, just uh, Cary Grant, as we talked about in the last uh, on the right. last podcast, about how uh, he, he happened to be the father of a girl you're dating. You're, it doesn't sound like you're name dropping. It just sounds like, wow, gee, man, this was an incredible journey that I was on, and that's why I think this thing works, Rob. It's it, you you couldn't be more honest on everything that you're that you're doing. Well, th- thanks, man. And, you're welcome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it really it always means a lot to me when people get it because again, it's it's not I can't hide behind a director or a script or. A part it's me, so you know you can't help but take it personally. And um, you know this, you know some. And what was was fun about it for me was, you know, some of the stuff that you got to write about that people want to know. People want to know about you know how, you know some of the interesting people that I met when I was single and when I was dating Princess Stephanie. See, I go okay. I'm going to tell this story because it was wild. It was fun. She was an interesting girl. We had a blast together. But how do I tell it in a way? That that is something more, mm-hmm. and you know what is unexpected about the book are some of the things that nobody would would ever suspect, and that is the guy that introduced us, who I befriended in Paris, turns out was a was a CIA agent, likely, and was assassinated after he dropped me off at the airport. So there are stories, and you just go, "What? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me?" Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the stuff about the book. That, that that hopefully raises it beyond just a sort of series of stories about interesting people that people already know. Yeah, but it, I couldn't help but strike. Uh, it didn't. It, it struck me, for the lack of a better phrase, it's a very Forrest Gump like existence. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you're sort of going through life, and and the the iconic figures that you come across. Uh, or or celebrities from the from the pop culture tableau that you met on the way up, it really is it's it's unbelievable. I, I mean, you're, one of your first commercials for Carl Jr. was with Regis Philbin. I know he was Regis was the local local anchorman right. in, in in L.A. when I arrived, you know, in like the mid to late seventies, and uh, and and I can remember Regis was sort of the first old pro, and I was thrilled because I was. You know, fourteen, thirteen or fourteen at the time, and I thought I got I got a commercial, and I'm going to get paid to eat hamburgers. This is the greatest job in the in the history of jobs. Right. And Regis and Regis was smart enough to not actually eat the hamburgers because he knew <laughs> he's a pro. He's a pro, and he knew you're going to be eating five thousand bites over the course of the the shooting. I of course did not. Mm-hmm. Ate every burger I could. I was sick while Regis was like literally chewing it and then spitting it into a puke bucket, which he hid <laughs> underneath the table. And I thought, you know, I've got a lot to learn in this. Yes, business. it's sort of you know you need to you pay. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then you also uh, you basically grew up with the Sheen family, right? In I, in, I, in I Malibu, did. and you finally moved out to to California. They were when we moved to California um, when my parents split up. The, uh, the the Sheens for me were that family that we all have, which is, you know, you're, you know you're going to be there on Christmas Eve. On any given day, you're doing your homework in the living room there and spending the night and you know stealing the ice cream out of the refrigerator. That that was the Sheen family for me. Um, three houses down from from where I lived, and so those guys, you know, I, so Charlie for me and all of, all of his lunacy now is you know that's like watching your best friend from the time you're 13 even though you may not see them anymore mm-hmm. you have a history and and a sort of 
and sort of, you know, a connection that sort of defies any of the current stuff. So, you know, when I, when I think of Charlie, I, I think of, you know, the kid with a rocket arm that, mm-hmm. that probably could have had some level of a professional baseball career had he not decided to follow his brother and me and his dad in, into acting. Right. How, how much are you getting asked on your book tour about Charlie and what's going on with him? Um, you know what? It's interesting. Not as much as you would think, uh-huh. and probably, truthfully, not as much as I would have if the book had come out even one week earlier. Because <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but so much of your book is at, certainly towards the end is about your journey with alcoholism and yep. going into rehab, and and how that really straightened out your life and and helped you get married to your your wife, who you call the love of your life, and you know you have two beautiful boys and. It's so much about your, your journey leading up to that and your journey after that is, is, a, is a major, certainly one of the most dramatic parts of, of stories I only tell my friends. And now, you know, obviously with Charlie, who, who is uh, famously uh, calling rehab uh, in many ways just a, a joke. A joke. Well, can I, can I say, by the way, he's not, he's not entirely wrong about, about that. I mean, first of all, I'm a gigantic rehab fan. Huge. It saved my life. And how about this? I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I learned a lot. I learned all the tools I needed that I never learned anywhere else in my life. Um, and I, my experience was I saw serious people doing serious work to try to save their own lives. And that the memory, just the memory alone of that is something I carry every day and moves me profoundly mm-hmm. and has helped keep me sober now up. Uh, it'll be it'll be twenty years this week, twenty one years. Sorry, see, I'm forgetting. Yeah, it's, it's so long. It's 11, so it'll be twenty. It'll be twenty one years this week, one day at a time. But Charlie's right in that there is a there is a sort of cottage industry of going to rehab to avoid bad press, going to a rehab as an excuse, going to 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 rehab for reasons other than actually wanting to to change your your life and. You know, I I just don't think it's right when you see people in rehab walking around outside holding Starbucks cups uh, and their their blackberries. <laughs> right. I just I, I that really rubs me the wrong way because, dude, in my in, in in my lockdown, there was no caffeine, there was no magazines, there was no physical contact, there was no television. I mean, this is a real deal, as it should be. It's thirty mm-hmm. days out of your life. Get real. Do some work. But it strikes me that Charlie, you would consider Charlie, just again, uh, reading your book, you would consider Charlie a brother, right? I, I, mean, I do. Right. I, I, I do. And, and you know, and, and when there was talk about me replacing him on Two and a Half Men, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the midst of all of his, his crazy, entertaining, and, and troubling insanity, he was very gracious, you know, about me, even though we haven't spoken in, in a while. So, you know, I, I, we, have that, we have that history. Right, and uh, and so part of the book, uh, you talk about obviously your big film break, The Outsiders, mm-hmm. where um, that was your first uh, major motion picture, and you uh, are working with Francis Ford Coppola, and you turn to you know a father uh, who just lives up the street from you, who knows quite a bit about not only the film career but working with Francis Ford Coppola, and that is Martin Sheen, who well, darn near darn near had a loss. You know, lost his life for shooting Apocalypse Now. Well, and you, know, you look at it this way: I, I was 17 years old, 
And you know, and I, and I write about this in detail in, in the book. And he, you know, I, I don't have any experience leaving home and going to shoot a movie. It's like if you're if your kid if you were a kid going off to college, and you can talk to your parents about that, or you certainly you can talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. There's no one I can talk to. Uh, my family's not in show business, so I go to Martin, who is sort of like a second father to me anyway. And we sit and we have our Hagen Doss in the kitchen, and, <laughs> and you know. Martin gives me the sort of lay of the land and what to look out for. And then just as I'm about to leave, he says, hey, and one more thing. I say, yeah. He says, don't let Francis ask you to do anything you're uncomfortable doing. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, okay, that's heavy. Right. <laughs> now go get him. Yeah, now go get him. Get him. Have a blast while you're at it. Right. No question. And then, and then years later, you're, you're, you're in part of an incredibly uh, – popular and long lasting i mean it's still it's still it's still as great as the first day it came on the air a television series the west wing Thank with you. martin sheen i mean i'll never forget the um, now you're working with him i was one of the i was one of the first people cast in in the west wing and mm-hmm. it was always a brilliant script written by aaron sorkin um, who just won the academy award for social network and i was sitting with aaron and i said who's playing the president at that and by the way at that point the show was designed where the president would literally pass by in the background, like with a donut. <laughs> and then the rest of the show would be about the, the White House staff. So it wasn't necessarily a big part, but it was a good part. And he said, well, we, um, we have an offer out to Sidney Poitier. And I was like, wow, Sidney Poitier, that'd be great. He mm-hmm. goes, but I just got a phone call from Martin Sheen. And, I, and, and there's, so there's no way for me. He said, what do you think about Martin? And then, you know, there's no way for me to even begin to impart what Martin meant to me sure. means to me. So I just simply said, Martin Sheen is the effing greatest. And Martin played Bartlett. And so every time Sam and Martin stood together, and I said, thank you, Mr. President. Or he said, Sam, you will be president one day. You can do it. I believe in you. And hugged me. I mean, that's years and years and years of, of an amazing relationship condensed into three seconds that I'm not really sure anybody ever really understood. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe now with, with the book that they will understand the, the depth of the history. And the, us. the thing I got also from uh, stories I only tell my friends also is how the Sam Seaborn character, um, it, it's, it, it's sort of, for lack of a better phrase, a godsend for you because it, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's more you then the the St. Elmo's Fire characters yeah. and the uh, uh, the outsider character and you know it, it it that 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 was not who you really were. Really even were though, now. Even though most people at the time, you know, when out about last night's come out, those movies, Young Blood, people thought you're just playing yourself, but <laughs> you really weren't then. Whereas in Sam Seaborn many ways that that's more who you are than than these other characters and that that to me really it really hit home for me reading the book about that oh thank thank you because it, it, that really sort of is i mean sort of look when i was playing this sort of like romantic wild men uh <laughs> i loved those parts but i was never that um I, I ended up living that life but it was because i was really having so much fun playing that part but really i'm still i i i, I always think we're all sort of the kid we were in high school to a certain extent, mm-hmm. and and I'm the pleasure to have in class. That's who I am, and that's who Sam is. Sam's the guy who's reading pamphlets on the weekend, <laughs> and you know I, I'm I got you know my 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 dirty 
dark secret is, uh, is that I'm a little bit of a nerd trapped in a body that doesn't look like a nerd. Mm-hmm. To let the, and, and that's who Sam is. Yeah, because I would I, I would have killed to have a Vanity Fair cover for my book, but if I if I appeared on it <laughs> if I had appeared on it shirtless, I don't think I would have sold any books. At all. It would yeah, have been that, bad for me. That wouldn't have been good for me. Yeah, that, that yeah. was you know that's also that's me going hey hey young hey hey Ryan Reynolds that's right. you want a piece of me <laughs> mofo right. you want to go so uh, of of all of all the film I mean I'm sure you're asked this in your book tour so let me be one of the many of all of, what what's your favorite do you have a favorite does one of, stand of the, out of, of, of the, the films movies? that you did yes of the films that you did um probably about last night and bad influence bad influence james I, spader and sure. i mm-hmm. uh directed by curtis hansen who directed la confidential and eight mile mm-hmm. um written by david Kapp, who wrote jurassic park and carlito's way mm-hmm. and it was a not a lot of people saw it when it came out mm-hmm. um it was way ahead of its time um, but it's I play one of the great bad guy, charming bad guy, psychopath parts. Um, I think around and 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 between and obviously about last night. A lot of people know, but th- those are probably my two favorite movies. Yeah, I mean, about last night. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this. I mean, to me, more at that time. Holy smokes! Nobody, oh, nobody more goodness, beautiful, more charismatic. Gracious. Oh my god! Sexier and. You know, we were so shooting cool. it in Chicago mm-hmm. in that magical time when Jim McMahon and Peyton yes. and the refrigerator yes. were beginning. They were beginning that season. I, one of my favorite memories in my career was for some ri- just ridiculous reason, we shot that last scene where we're crying and getting back together in Grant Park in right. Chicago. We shot that the first day. And of the whole shoot? Of the whole shoot. Uh-huh. Which you just don't do, but we did. But afterwards, the good news was I walked over to Soldier Field. It was a Monday night game against Green Bay. Watched the refrigerator score his first rushing touchdown. <laughs> something people still talk about in Chicago. Yes. No kidding. Yeah, it was that, pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, uh, that's a great film, obviously. And you know, David Mamet and and yep. but Demi Moore. I I got a chance to meet her recently. I couldn't I couldn't put two words together. Yeah, she's Even still she's still an amazing. She's amazing so cool. Player. I mean, she you know she's she was so cool. I mean, yep. but still, it was still tough. Hey, Rob, listen, congrats on this book. Thank I couldn't you. be again more appreciative that you you were on my podcast twice to help promote uh, stories. I only tell my friends. Available right now. Um, on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. Congrats! It's it to me, you know. Anybody who comes up to me and says, you know, I watch on TV, I lo- but I love your book. That that's above everything else. I mean, it, it's it's the proverbial. They can't take this away from. You no, know, it isn't. It really is. It's you know what? It, it's it's an opportunity to really for people to know who you are because it's impossible to capture in an interview or mm-hmm. certainly in a movie, but in a book, this is, this is me, this is, this is me. There's, there's no getting around it. And, and, and it's been a, a great adventure. It's on the shelf forever. Your kids, kids can pick it. I mean, it's just, it, it'll, that's it. It's there. It'll yep. never go away. And congratulations on it. You, you only deserve the best of success with it, Rob. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward. Let's hope we have a season so we have more to talk. You about. know what? You and me both. But if there's not, people could could read your book if they on Sundays if they that's already right. haven't. But exactly. That's the silver. I'm trying to look for silver linings here. Uh, you but and there me will, both. There'll be football. There'll be football. I think so. Rob, thanks again. Thank you. You bet. That's Rob Lowe, everybody. What a great podcast we've had so far. Michael Lombardi giving us the scoop on what went down in the draft and how we're moving forward from the draft. 
Rex Ryan talking about his book, Rob Lowe talking about his book. Now we just talk about everything that we've experienced in the last week in general. Um, with uh, Kara Henderson, fresh back from the uh, draft war room of the Denver Broncos. Good well, to see you, Kara well, I Henderson. wasn't actually in the war room. We no? requested that. I think that that request was denied. Was it? It was. Okay. It was. But basically, you, you access. I was everywhere else in the building. <laughs> Mr. Elway gave you access to Lauren. <laughs> Much to the chagrin. Everybody was like, wait, you're in the okay. locker room? Terrific. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here's uh, Chris Law, NFL uh, Network, uh, NFL.com podcast producer extraordinaire, bringing uh, drinks for everybody. That's what I do. Good job, Chris Law. That and also putting the podcast up and making it sing. Chris Law, everybody. That's your first ever appearance on this podcast. First right? ever. First of many. Pop it, pop it first of many. Done. May God bless. Can we just call him Law? The Law. I fought the Law. Uh, and uh, also um, joining on the podcast once again, I think. I think. Um, I don't know what how to introduce this man. Um, he's just everywhere. He's everywhere. He's a he's a one of the best of all time. Um, he's one of my colleagues, one of my friends, and also who knew a Broadway musical uh, goer, Marshall Falk, joining the podcast presented by Papa John. How you doing, Rich? Good to see you. Again, how you Marshall. doing, Kara? So, Kara, Sunday night after the draft. Okay. Hold, hold on, wait, Rich. Hold on. Can we go into wait, that one? Wait, we don't do that. Wait, wait. What do we do before we do that? I'm sad. Why are you sad? I'm sad. I'm, I'm I'm now I'm sad seriously okay. seriously why are you sad I love New York yes but I'm like O for three in New York with the wards oh because so you want to start with the sports Emmys yes okay yes I'm sad okay so wait, one one was the two uh, the Heisman two two Heisman two Heisman you, you lost two Heisman yes in the downtown athletic club yes. one to Gino Toretta and one to Charlie Ward we're not going to count the first one as a freshman when they really didn't want to. Allow me because to, you were not legally able to do that, right? The rules you couldn't be a right, freshman, the, right? Right, right, and I probably would have beat that guy too, but or you I would mean, have been beaten by that guy since you would no, have, no, no, no. Who, who no, won that? Who won the no, Heisman the no, year before? No. The, Another non-deserving guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that. And then came the sports Emmys on Monday night, right? Right, an NFL game day final, the first award of the night, at least. First award. At least of we night. got the drama out of the way early. We lost to College Game Day. This is my question. If you are, what was it, in the five? Yes. Is it a loss? No, it's great. I mean, it's the ultimate. It's great to be nominated. Of course it's great to be nominated. Right. So do you just say, like, we were nominated for we, an Emmy? We were nominated for an Emmy, yes. Believe right. me, okay. in my resume, it's two-time Emmy nominee. Okay. Yes. Okay. I just want to make oh, sure. Oh, there's I no question. Just... I mentioned Do you say that you I'm were nominated for a Heisman? No. 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 That's not. different. Heisman's different from Emmys. No. But, you know, it's like... But you're a finalist. You were a two-time finalist for the award i don't yeah. think i don't think that's gonna i don't think that's See, gonna here's, make the resume. Here's, here's how it doesn't matter it doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't here's why it doesn't matter because the resume starts now with first time first ballot yeah. hall of famer yeah. that's it that's yeah. it that's it first ballot hall of famer yeah there aren't too many of those no are you the youngest first ballot gina toretta no he wasn't gina toretta how'd that work out for yeah you he know? didn't worry he wasn't a first ballot hall of no famer. i love gino are you the youngest by no. the way first ballot? No, I, I think barry was barry sanders was barry was Barry, uh, you know, Barry, what did we play? 10 years yeah, and then he, he walked away. Right. So, so he might have been like a 35-year-old first I think he was ballot. 36. 36. Yeah. And you are 38 yes. years of age. Yes. How about that? You're first ballot Hall young. of Famer. It's, You're not even 40 years yeah, old. Yeah, it's, it, and, that's, and that's the, that's the that's crazy ridiculous. part because I, I look at... So, um, yeah, you've not only retired, you've gotten a Lifetime Achievement Award at 38 years old, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... A, it's insane. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because... The guys that are in, mm. like the Hall of Famers, I mean, the, the like guys that's been in for, you know, the a deacons, decade, a the de- deacons, yeah, yeah. Deacon Jones, yeah. Jones. it's like it's like 
those are the guys you look at and you idolize. Mm -hmm. And and now you're in you're in that room with them. Mm -hmm. It's 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 just weird thinking about that. You know, even even guys like I'm I'm good friends with Marcus Allen. I'm good friends with Eric Dickerson, um, and they're Hall of Famers. And I'm and and I've always looked up. Thurman Thomas, I've looked up to those guys. And same now, breath. Now in the same and, breath. And Barry, it's same like, breath. Same man, breath. That, it, it's just, it's weird. Um, and I always talk about this perspective because as a fan, like I love football just as a fan, and you get a chance to play, and, and now that immortal class mm-hmm. that those guys are in. And here's what I love about the Hall of Fame, too, is it's totally random who's in your class you know, mm. it totally because it part of it depends on when you retire. Obviously, that's how you and Dion are in the same class. The fact that Shannon Sharp didn't make it first couple times. That's why he's in your class now, too. Richard Dent, man. Richard Dent is, my in, guy. is in your class. You know what I mean? Like Richard Dent of the, the famous Chicago Bears 46 defense. When you were, let me do the math. You were like six years old, seven or something um, like that. Trying yeah, to do the math. 80, yeah, the 80. Eight. The 85, you're an eight-year-old yeah. in New Orleans, far from your popcorn-selling career in yeah. the Superdome. But Richard Dent's going in with you. What's, what's, what's even better is that I played with Richard Dent. For one year, right? Yeah, we played a year together in Indianapolis. So it was it's just weird. He had we, the horseshoe on the side? Yes, yes. We, we brought in um, um, Bill Tobin. Mm-hmm. You know, he, was a, he was a Bears um, front office guy, worked in there. Um, I want to say he was a assistant GM or whatever, mm-hmm. and he took over the Colts. And as we were going on, you know, guys, you always bring guys over. We needed a pass rusher. We lost a guy, so we brought Dent in, and um, it was it was a pleasure to be around him and just to hear about what it used to be like and how it is now, and the the little the little nuggets that they the, the things that they teach you, like this is how you survive. Can you announce who you've got for your Hall of Fame party yet? Um, Can you do it, or we're think contracts have not been signed, or what do we got here? Oh, it, it's agreed upon. I'm, I'm a. You're gonna hold off. It, no, can no, you no, make? No, can you no. can you make the big announcement on my podcast? Yes, I mean, I, I um, it, it'll be Nelly. It's, it's, I'm gonna keep it St. Louis. He's mm-hmm. a shut the front door. Really? Yes, yes. Nelly. I love that. Mm-hmm. And but do, can we? I, I don't want to talk about Dion's side. It, of that's things? his. Yeah, he, I, I'll let him. Um, He'll handle he'll that part, but but you are going to have a combined. Plan? Yes, that's we the are. Plan right now. Yes, no that that is the plan. Okay, so it you is. and Dion are going to have the combined we will not, party. We will not. We know too many of the same people. Too many we work the at people. the same company. Yeah, we can't. We don't want. Yes, so and I appreciate that because we can't be splitting time from no. parties. Exactly. We, do. we all want to. We don't, go want, we don't want you guys picking favorites. You know, there's no favorites. Yeah, we we love you both the same. Exactly. So. He so Nelly, I, you get Nelly. Right. I know who he's going to get. There you go. There's, there's no question. You, who he's exactly. Gonna get. There'll be no question who he's going to get. Yes. Um, what else do we want? Why to do talk I not know her? who's going to get? Why? Am oh, I... you don't know who's going to get? No, I, I'm just not thinking. Should I say? No, I can't nah. say it. I, I, yeah, I don't want to put it out there. Yeah, will they? It's will they so do any obvious. kind of joint situation? This um, person, well, this actually, person, right? this person might. <laughs> this person, <laughs> the, the both of them will definitely. <laughs> They definitely will. The joint situation? Yes, it will be. <laughs> oh, there. now I understand. Hey now. Hey now. Yeah, that makes, they, um, that's that's a great. Yeah, that would be great. But can we, we invite, won't. We can't announce for. Can yeah, we, can yeah, we invite obvious, Will Ferrell? Huh? Yeah. Can we invite Will Ferrell? I would, yeah. I'd love right? to have him. Wouldn't there he too. be yeah. great? Yeah. So you're going to keep it all St. Louis. I like it. Right. Very good. That's, yeah. Keep it. I'm going to invite Adam Corolla. 
Will you? Yes. Because he would, you know, he's got a man crush on you. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's my guy. Adam's cool. Do we want to talk about the draft at all or no? Sure. We can talk Why about it. Why I got to get something off my chest and see if you guys agree with this. Uh, we've got to stop the um, the phone calls from coaches to prospects before they're picked. Oh, got to stop it. I don't think so. We got to put a stop to that. Because it, it ruins the broadcast. It ruins everything. It makes oh, the yeah. Com- well, let's let's make sure that the broadcast is what we have well, first and foremost yeah, in our heads, as course. opposed to the moment where this, Cara, this kid Cara, finds we could out. be we could be doing the draft via encrypted website, and and these guys just point and click on guys. Then, this is a television event. This is what it is. It's a television event for three days. Eight million Americans watch it, and the first round is being completely cannibalized by the most banal conversation that could be had after it's all after. Why? Boy, why this whole this whole conversation banal. When Von Miller got the call, it hey, was basically breaking down. Right. I'm not saying the moment that you're drafted is banal. I'm saying the conversation of hey, you're you're you know you're 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 Dallas. We even the Dallas Cowboys who who are great at content. Everything is content to Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys and their website. They um, they they recorded all of the conversations that Jason Garrett had with 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 the prospects, and we we listened in the, the Teron Smith uh, conversation because Dallas uh, the Cowboys were kind enough to, to give it to us on the air, and it's just like it's it's the same conversation, just like uh, congratulations, you're a Dallas Cowboy, uh huh, yes, coach, we're gonna we're gonna have you out here, it's gonna be great, uh huh, yes, coach, okay, we're we're gonna work you, yeah, all right. But I would rather so, have the being, team call me because you're being, waiting, and all of a sudden it's uh, like, wait uh, a minute, what's that area code? Wait. Being being that I have received that phone call, mm-hmm. um, we'll defer to him. I think. And and understanding what we do now on television, mm-hmm. um, and I know what you're saying. Uh, just, just, just imagine this: if the kid doesn't hear until the commissioner says it, yeah, you get the same what, what his emotions are going to be to the public now. Not just, you know, it's not just in the in the green room. He's being called. Not, like he just heard his name. It's like just like it's everybody crazy. else. Um, I just you still get the same reaction. He will still cry and hug his mom. He'll still cry and hug his dad. I understand what he's saying. I I get what you're saying, and I get what Rich is saying. Um, The team... The team needs to make sure that... I mean, obviously, the first 10 picks are going to be there. But, like, later in the rounds, who was it? What coach was telling me, like, there are guys, I called them, they didn't answer the phone, moved along to the next guy. Well, that's... (laughs) But that that, that makes no sense. If the guy doesn't answer... Then you're not going to draft him because he's not by the phone? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That's I can't the most remember which coach. thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like Von Miller. Oh, let's move move along to Marcel no, Darius. Obviously, I mean, this no. Is like and if you're calling a fifth round guy, I mean, you know. But obviously. to me, to me, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Because the commissioner, everyone at home wants to be surprised. The best picks of the first round, Jake Locker and Christian Ponder, they had no cameras on them. The whole place, the whole place, our broadcast, I could always, you know, because I, I look past our broadcast, you could see ESPN's broadcast. They were flipping out. We were flipping out. The room was flipping out. And the commissioner was the one who delivered yeah, the, the news, which the, is what it has to be. He's, he should be the Paul Revere. Okay, He's the town crier. So here's what happens. Yeah. Here's what happens. You now make a rule. While your team is on the clock, you cannot call your prospect. You can't. Whoever you're drafting, you can't. The commissioner's the one who announces it. The kid, if he's in the green room or he's in his house, he hugs his mom, he hugs his whoever. You have that moment. You still see the emotional reaction. He comes out, shakes the commissioner's hand or hugs him or whatever, takes the picture with his family on Radio City Music Hall, and then walks off the stage, and there's a cell phone. 
Uh, and uh, now the coach has the same conversation you could have. What's the point of saying, hey, son, we're going to pick you. You better be ready. You better be our guy. You're going to be our guy. To You're going to have to work hard. You could still have that conversation to, 10 to minutes later. Control, to have control of it, Rich, um, what, what the league need to ask of the players is, if we're going to fly your family here, mm-hmm. there's no need for you to be on the phone. Yeah. There's no, like, who are you calling? We just we just flew fifteen people here, right? Like, but, and the whole thing is just like it, who, it, who, it, did this you, is, who did you not bring? This is officially this is now officially. Who did you not bring? Exactly, that's not here. Why do you got to so, be on the phone? Every, and, and also, it's put just, a de scrambler back there because we are we. If if you're in the green room Anything. or you've got a, or 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 you're you're allowing a camera into your house to be seeing your draft party, we are duty bound to show. The kids on the phone. Right. We have to do that. Yeah, because it's happening. We, exactly. Yeah. We it's are duty news. bound yes. to do it. So okay, I've remove been convinced. that. Okay, I've been thank convinced. you. Remove Look that how happy from he was our. That he actually talked to me. Remove that from our plate because I hate it. I hate it, man. I want to be surprised like everybody else. Yeah, it's it's I ruining it. it. Yes, that that's the case. It, I understand that, Rich. Thank the, you. The, the element of surprise, it is not there. When we talked about it as we were going through, like, yeah. oh, why is he messing it up? Um, but to bring this whole podcast full circle, because it started with Lombardi, if you do have a scoop like, hey, Ryan Mallett's going to be picked by the Patriots 10 minutes from now, that is fair game. That, to me, is a fair game. This is a big news story. It's sort of breaking. That's a different thing, well, I think. It, if it's five picks out and you know that, mm-hmm. people, you just they're going to watch to see, like, to is see, he right? Right. Is right. he right? Right. Is he right? Correct. That, yeah, that So makes there's sense. still some suspense. But other than that, just I, I hate it, man. I, it's it ruined the first round. It did, you know. And for also because, like I said, I, w- I wouldn't say ruin. Well, um, I did to me. You know, it was still it just, fun and it was still great. But to me, the commissioner just, should be the end all, be all. He should be the Ryan Seacrest. Voice. Well, he it's is just bad. The Ryan Seacrest. It's, it's bad <laughs> yes. when 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 there's time on the clock. The commissioner hadn't walked out yet. It's on Twitter, yeah. Facebook. Kids crying. Like Von Miller was crying know. for five minutes before the commissioner goes out and says, "With the second like, pick, oh no, duh!" Like the like, guy's crying. Obvi, Kamish. We know. Obvi. So obvi. <laughs> oh, and G. Roger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we have now. You know what's we, great, we have. We are going to leave this podcast. By making the world better. This is can the I, idea. Can I, can I do and one you other find thing? a team. If you call the guy, you find him. Money. Oh, out you, of can't the pocket. Do, you can't do that. Well, I, I, so what is, I think I think at, at all of If you want these... to call your prospect before you're on the clock, say, we're about to pick you, fine. But they'll never do that because the camera's on them. Camera's on the kid and some other team's currently on the clock. When you are put on the clock to the point the commissioner announces the pick, no contact. You After, cannot call your kid. At, What's the point at, of it? At one of, at one of these league meetings... Um, someone must inform the team. Like, listen, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to have a show. Right. We want to keep people in suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, that conversation can happen after he shakes the commissioner's hand, get the hat, get the jersey. It's a better phone call then. It is, because he's crying still. I it's, mean- a better fo- it's a better phone call. Hat, jersey, it's a better phone call. Yeah, it's a better picture. He's here. He is on the phone with a hat. Sponsored. It's sponsored. Yeah, it's a better right? picture. Because again, it is a TV can I get show. One, now. Can I get one little thing off my chest since Please. we're talking about this? You know what I love? What do you do? Nobody believes me. We figured this out last week that they could tell me the truth that I knew come Tuesday. 
pretty pretty much mm-hmm. who the Broncos were going to pick. Uh-huh. Nobody believed me. What do you mean? Nobody here believed no, you? I mean, no, I mean just generally. Like you, Only when Mike Mayock put Von Miller in his mock draft mm-hmm. and then Adam Schefter the next day said, 90% certain they're taking Von Miller. But you, and you had that cold... Kara, I'm, Am I wrong? I'm, I'm not gonna, listen, I'm, here's, I'm here's not, the thing is, don't paint us all with the same everybody brush. No, but no, 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 I'm just saying. I, I you, believe, you know what I mean. Not only did I not believe you, I didn't believe Mayock or Schefter because when I look at, and I'm going to get into this right now with the Broncos, um, I don't care who your linebacker is, mm. just like Derek Brooks was a great linebacker, but without Warren Sapp up front, he probably would have been average. Like, I don't know how good Vaughn's going to be without somebody in the in the one or the three technique to make to allow him to be great. That's why I felt like they, they yeah, have to they go don't Darius. Have to, but they don't have to draft for need. They can now go out in free agency and address there's, it. There's no such there's no there's no three or one there's nobody with an inside presence that's going to help them. And Hainsworth? Like I said, there's nobody in the, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to help them. He's available. Uh, no I, I'm just saying it's, can get them cheap. It is hard. Like, we've seen a lot. Like, whether well, Haloti Nada's got to keep Ray Lewis clean, and as, right. as, as uh, Siragusa did in their, in their championship in the, seasons. In the, yeah, in the 4 the, 3 you got to keep scheme. these guards off this kid. In the 4 the 3 scheme, guards, yeah. that backer, um, when, when Erlacher's, you know, when Tommy, when Tommy Harris wasn't healthy and they didn't have a guy to fill in how Erlacher was banged up and beat up mm-hmm. and how Briggs wouldn't show your linebackers are only as good as the guys up front when you play against teams that that can block so Maybe that's, that's why I tw- felt like 20 see Marshall didn't believe me that, I know I didn't regardless believe, of whether you know it makes sense I just felt like that's they why, had to go D line well that's why 12 of the first 32 picks were D line and an exactly. absurd number of D-linemen D were flying off the boards in yeah. the first two, three rounds of the draft. I do think that they were, I'm sure they would, would have liked to have come out of this draft with a run stopper in the middle, especially in that division. Well, they had him. They had him right there, and they chose Von Miller instead, but, but, but I'm sure he'll be very, you have, very good. Like, I give, I, Marcel, he's not just a run stopper. He can rush the passer. He's a gifted. That kid is gifted. Oh, the Bills are just, thrilled to have him. It, it I'm sure. You know, one, you one other thing. Like I have that. to say one other thing. Yeah. Because this is something that I know would be near and dear to your heart, and we've discussed this before. So after the draft, um, kind of asking guys like, like, how was Elway? How was John Elway mm-hmm. in the draft room? Mm-hmm. He said it was brilliant. He was awesome. Because that is something, and we've discussed this, Rich, before. That there is this sense of former players moving into personnel positions that they may not necessarily have the ability to move into that position because they haven't spent the last decade evaluating talent, right? Well, like, it's, could Marshall Falk walk in and be John Elway tomorrow? You have, you, yes, if, 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 I'm, if I have John Fox, a guy that respects me and I respect him, um, is it Brian Zander? Brian Zanders and Matt Russell, who's the right. director of college scouting, who's a if player. If the respect yeah. is there and... The work and the due diligence is done beforehand, and these guys and and, and we're going through this tape, and they know I'm watching tape. They, yeah. I'm, I'm not in another city doing whatever, and I come in and I'm like, no, I like this guy. It can happen. Well, I'm sure the respect you'd have the respect not only based on what you've done in your playing career, but if you were in the John Elway role, you'd be the boss. So you better be respected since you well, can but, fire but anybody. Even, but in the but room. even still, even still, that can't be the reason why. They listen to you. 
you don't want to be feared. You had to have done. You the want work. to be respected, you not have right. To have done the work. Right. Yeah. I, I want when mm-hmm. when I give an opinion, not for you to listen yes, to me boss. because I'm nice right. tie, boss. Right. I don't want that. I want. <laughs> like I want, your shoes, boss. <laughs> I, I, I want you to know that I've done my research. That's it, and and that's mm-hmm. what you want. And I believe John. John really he. They did a good job. Well, the other thing they said is that he, they can see, you know, elements of his playing career in the draft room. He commands the draft room like he commands the huddle. And he has this presence about him mm-hmm. that you just, you're in with him. You're in. Like, he just has that same way about him. And you well, sense that he has the seriousness. Do you have you anything you want to get off your chest? I got my draft thing off the chest where, again, no more contact while you're on the clock between you and your player while you're being drafted. I don't want any of these picks tipped anymore you you got it off uh, your chest. you are to be respected I just, and, I, and understood I, I, I and, and, and not feared and not feared and and you what i would like to be feared okay what would you like get off what do you get off your chest <laughs> two things For, first of all it's not really getting off my chest but um in our pre-draft coverage mm-hmm. when i said i mean i i people blew me up and i believe that the titans they did their homework um i said jake locker was a top five talent just played on a crappy team. Maybe the tight, top eight talent. The top. I'm just. That's what he was. Okay. But on a crappy team, you couldn't really tell if the guy was that good. And the Titans didn't allow the team to bring down the kid. And I made so it. So you like the pick? I gave. I, I, this is. I, I said this. I said last year Jake Locker would have been a top five pick. Yes, he that, that's what he would have. And. I've never seen a quarterback be accurate on the run outside the pocket and in, inaccurate in the pocket. It's usually the opposite. Peyton used to struggle once you got him off his spot. What did he say? Get the quarterback off his spot. He's going to be inaccurate. That's what you keep hearing. But for whatever reason, Jake Locker's inaccurate on the spot, inaccurate off the spot. Well, that could be. Yeah, I remember you said that. that that's a coaching thing. Right, you can that, that's a coaching thing. So what is this getting that's us a, off that's, your chest? That's a comfort thing. Because people didn't believe you in the pre Oh, my God. It, Rich, it, it was okay. crazy. I mean, I obviously, I'm on Twitter, and I just. At Marshall Are you Falk. kidding me? Are you kidding me? You said what? How does he? That's why. That's why he's not in the front office. I'm like, okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Get it off your chest, Marshall see? Falk. We'll see. What's and, the other thing you want and, to get off your chest? And, um, um, That's the name. Um, that instead of love, hot topics. That instead of hot topics, get, get it off, off your chest. chest. I like it. She doesn't um, like that we call the other them hot thing, topics. And, and, uh, Reminds me of the view. At the sports Emmys. Um, um, yeah. These, um, you, you can't like, you can't load the deck. You can't have like, Three things. Hey, man. You nom- can't load the deck, dude. You're referring to like some categories where it was one one network got nominated for five different things. Right. And- there were, It was like Fox Sound NASCAR. Yeah, I know. And like, Fox I, I, Sound I, football. I think Fox is going to win. Fox Sound. I think Fox is going to win. That was like the commissioner walking up. Hey, man. <laughs> we already knew. It's it's the same thing. You know. Uh, the guy got up with the car. He was our, like. Well, you know how many analysts. Well, see, but now you got to wonder, wait, is it NASCAR? Wait, yeah. He got up with the car and he went, nope, not NASCAR. Uh, nope, he not, wins not every football. year. You're talking about nope. Jerry. He wins every <laughs> like, year. For real? Sound, he's, like, sound nobody real. else has sound. He wins every year. When I saw him in the in the in the pre at the ceremony before, I'm like, uh, he had just one drink in his hand. I'm like, this is the first time tonight you will not be double fisted. Well, he walks out with like 18 trophies. They should just do his via satellite. Like, why is he? Why does he need to be there? But it, but it's the same thing. Like we put in anal- five analyst tapes. Technically, you, Mooch, Dion, Irvin could all be nominated, and everyone else from the rest of the business doesn't. It just depends on how the nominations fall. But the bottom line is, with the host, doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter who the host is because Costas is going to walk to the stage. What show did he host? Oh, stop it. Serious. Football in America. Now, football in America. Now, is, is he the host or is Dan the host? Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't figure that one out. Hot stirring. I, I just no, no, know. I stirred it on the on 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 Dan's radio. Show. Did you ask him that? I did. I'm I, like, I, you co-host. Do you co-host or host? Because man? it was one time they had three hosts. But see, then I didn't get nominated, there. and it sounds like I'm bitter. So, you don't. There's no bitter. I mean, but my show got. Nominated. But he got. He got. You okay. Like, you like co-hosts, though, don't you? No, I don't mind. No, it does not. No, I don't care. Really? And, and do I don't you? Care. Do you? Are as you? As long all... as I have the respect and as long as. Whoops, Sorry, that's my microphone. As are you? As are long you... as I have the respect and fear of my peers. And and uh, you know, I'm I'm still though I've been working here for a while, Rich. Like, yeah. can you be the host from a remote site? Like, are, is the yeah. host in the? Yeah. With no, the... You can be a host from a remote okay. site. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because uh, technically I'm a ho- the host of Thursday Night Football. I'm on a remote site, but you're with, and there is a studio presence back in the studio, right? But you're with us, like and Fran's in the studio, right? But we're so throwing Fran and back. I co-host the Sunday, the Thursday Night Football program. Okay, that makes sense. So, can you, so I think you can host, but you can't a, anchor. How about that? The but as a co, so yeah, they, there's only one anchor. So as a co-host, should there be a whole Dan separate? Rather and Connie Chung, should it be a whole separate like award? <laughs> Like there's a host and then there's co-host. Mm. Can we create another award? Yeah, let's make the night longer. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Isn't that let's a sit 70s in there song? Starving. Isn't right. that a 70s song? Let's uh, make the night longer. I actually show? think what their plan is now, Rich, yeah. is they give you a you, you, there's a two hour cocktail. Mm. They get you drunk and then they sober you up. <laughs> By the end, now of the I see it. Game, I've been wondering what sober. are you doing. <laughs> All right, that brings it full circle. Good to see you. Thank you, Marshall Falk. Podcast number two in the books. Kara Henderson, as always, good to see you. She's a regular. Regular. She's a She's regular. Like Norm. Uh, that's it for this edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Papa John's. We're going to have a special standalone one later in the week. Me and Mike Mayock, just me and alone time with Mike. That's it. It's going to be good. It will be. Uh, that wraps it up. Thanks to Rex Ryan, Rob Lowe for the second of uh, uh, weekly appearances. And um, also Michael Lombardi and to you too. Why Thank does you. Rob Lowe have to be remote? Why can't he you be want here? him to be in his studio? Yeah, I'd like him to host from hey, right here. Thank you. Now. I'll, hey I'll, now. Work on, I'll work on that for you. I'll work on that. <laughs> uh, that's it for the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Papa John. Stay listening to 